All right, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Hannah. Hello, Mary. Hello, Lynn. I said hi. No, you no, didn't. I did. I said it at the same time as Hannah, so you probably didn't hear me. It blended. Right. It blended. My high blended with Hannah's. Perfect unison. For the All right. I, we sounded like one person. Sweet. Yeah. You know what's really weird? She said hi, Mary, and hi, Lynn. No, I just said hi. I just joined in the high part. I was not doing the names. I didn't no, know. She, she just joined in the high part. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I, I'm just here for the high. <laughs> wow. Well, that's stay, good. Don't don't judge. Oh my god, that's that's awesome. All righty. Welcome that to tell awesome. Me. Welcome to tell me something I didn't need to know. Hell yeah. I'm sure we're already filling your brain with crap you never <sighs> needed to know. Yeah. Everybody mm -hmm. needs to know what states it's legal in. Um, no, not everybody. I don't really care. Some of care. us don't care. I don't really care. I'm sure people do though. I don't care either. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so welcome to tell me something I didn't know the podcast where we just fill your brain with all kinds of maybe not so useful information. Good way maybe to put it. Information. You can do with this information, whatever you choose. It might help you win a trivia contest someday. Possibly. Like what's the most deadly tree in the world? See, we all know it now. If you that don't, true. we do. Podcast and we you do. Should listen to it so you can win that contest. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd be on Jeopardy. Good point. Maybe. Maybe. Good points. I'm Mary Swartz. I'm Hannah Green. I'm Lynn Samuels. And we're your hostess with the most of the today. Hey, look, today we're double fisting it. Oh, yeah. We've got tea in one hand and wine in the other. Woo woo. Um, I have a grapefruit in one hand and coffee in the other. Not a recommended yeah. combination. It doesn't really work together. So you probably don't want to like at the same time, I'd finish one and then do the other. I wouldn't brush your teeth either while you're doing that. No. Oof. Oof. That would be scary. Oof. Yeah. There are some, there are some things you should not. Oof. I generally try not to brush my teeth while eating. Multitasking. Yeah, I, I've just found I, that doesn't really seem to work. It kind of defeats the purpose. I highly recommend brushing your teeth while eating an Oreo. Ew. Ew. It is minty, and there are mint Oreos. So. Ew. <laughs> no. No. Hershey's Oreos and toothbrush. No. All right. My word of the week, ladies. Yes. Levament. 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 It is uh when you when you levitate your mint tea. Close. It is when you when you meant to be walking, but instead you uh you floated away. This word comes from the English dictionary. From the year 1623. And levament is the comfort which one finds in his wife. Oh, all right. So you could say, I levament you. Oh. As a husband to a wife. 
but definitely not a wife to a husband. No, no. What about a husband to a husband? Well, yeah, Yeah, that's fine. As long as it's coming from a husband or a wife to a wife. Yeah. I thought you said husband. It, yeah, it did. And probably in 1623 really didn't um, apply to marriages of the same sex. But it's kind of interesting that we still have a word around from that long ago. Is it really around? Do people use it still? Uh, I've never heard of anybody using it, but it's obviously still around because we still know about it. Well, we only know about it because you told us, to be fair. True. All right. All right. My word is soupson. Soupson. <laughs> you know we're going to go play. Dinner's ready. Soupson. <laughs> <laughs> or when you're singing with a mouthful of alphabet soup. Ah! <laughs> I would just like to say that if you are serving soupson for dinner, I'm going to be very hungry when we're done. Wow. Must be an empty box or something. <laughs> Any other wise remarks? I got nothing. It is a noun that is French in origin from around the mid-18th century. It means a very small quantity of something. Hmm. Well, you don't want to eat too much soup because you'd get full. What if we give you a lot of soup sounds? I hope you have lots of little, little dipping dishes or something. Yes, yes. So, for example, the, the steak came with a soupçon of horseradish sauce for dipping. It's like, ew, did you just squirt yourself in the eye? <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact there's a little hand on her face. The, the, the grapefruit just bit grapefruit love juice at her. Yeah, I just got grapefruit love juice in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to Zoom, ladies and gentlemen. Do you have a word of the week, Lynn? Or are we skipping you? I do. I have a very good word. Okay. Good word. I, however, do not have the uh, information about it. You guys do like the history behind it. I just have a word and what it means. That's okay. fine. That's Sometimes fine. that's what I have too. Conflagration. Conflagration. I've heard this word before. Okay. I want to say... It's not, I almost want to say it's like a disagreement or it's like um, when you're struggling to make a decision inside your head. Nope. I feel like it has something to do with, with like a, a group of people coming together in your head. At some point, at some point, Johanna there would probably be a group of people coming together. All right. All right. What does it mean, Lynn? An ex- a destructive, extensive fire. Oh. Oh. So, yeah. So, so, yeah. A conflagration. So, yeah. Uh, there yes. would be a group of firefighters coming together to fight it. Yes. Uh, uh, last week, last week, the, um, the, there was a, a conflagration and the firemen came to take care of it. At the million dollar house. At the million dollar house. Because ah, they kind of get a snake. Yes, yes, the snakes. The, snake. the, the riddance of snakes caused conflagration. Very good. Very good. Hell yeah. All right. I have a tidbit for us. All righty. The River Thames is pretty famous. Most people have heard of it. Okay. Yes, we have. 
And now it's even more so, but I will not be taking a dip there anytime soon. Thank you very much. I'm going to pass. You're not really in the vicinity either, (laughs) to be fair. If I was. So a recent health check of the river has turned up the presence of seahorses and seals and seahorses and eels, which is kind of weird, right? Uh, yeah. But wait, there's more. There usually is. They've also found some venomous sharks there in the River Thames. Venomous. Venomous sharks. Venomous sharks. Okay. The Zoological Society of London is calling this positive news. So is this River Thames, uh, is that like seawater? It has I think it con- I think it connects to the ocean or the sea, maybe. Okay. So... Even though I don't think it's positive news, I actually, I do get it while they're saying it's positive news. And here's why. It is a sign of wildlife and ecosystem recovery. Because back in 1957, the Thames River had actually been declared biologically dead. (gasps) Ooh. But really, venomous sharks in a river doesn't sound like a movie in London. Venomous sharks, you guys, like we're not stopping at the venomous sharks because I knew there were sharks, but yes, and I I will get to that. I will explain. Okay, because yeah, I'm like, how are we not talking about venomous sharks? Sharks are already bad enough. They can eat you, but venomous. Yep. Yep. Don't go in their houses. Yeah, stay out of their house. (laughs) They won't eat you if you stay out of their house. They won't stand their ground. (laughs) (laughs) No, they'll swim their ground. So this is not an April Fool's joke, and it's not a movie plot. The venomous shark is what's called a spur dog. It measures 23 inches long, and it is covered in venomous spines that protrude from the dorsal fins. So he's not very big. The venom can cause pain and swelling in humans. However, this is not the only variety of shark that they have discovered in the river. Health checkup that they have done also found the taupe shark, which can grow up to six feet long, But don't worry, they have no recorded history of unprovoked human attacks. And the starry smooth hound, which is a type of shark about four feet long that feeds on crustaceans. So they have found at least three varieties of shark in the River Thames. That's awesome, actually. The river is 215 miles long and is home to more than 115 species of fish and 92 species of birds. And seahorses and, and seals. Eels, eels and seals and sharks. Eels and seals. Eels and eels seals. And seals. And eels and seals and sharks. Sharks, oh my. Eels and seals and sharks. Oh my. <laughs> we could make that into a movie. There, There's a movie somewhere in that, Mary. I can feel there's a movie coming out. Oh. Okay. It could star Ryan Reynolds. The latest advance in astro agriculture comes in the form of ketchup made from tomatoes, which are cultivated in a Mars-like condition. Heinz, air quotes, Mars ketchup, which is a limited edition and not for sale, was not imported from our neighboring planets. Rather, astrobiologists grew tomatoes on Earth in conditions that resemble the very harsh environment on Mars. And the sauce that was made from those tomatoes actually passed Heinz's quality tests. Wow. Researchers at the, at the Florida Institute of Technology, 
placed highest tomato seeds in Earth's soil that chemically simulates Mars's region, loose rock dust that covers the solid rock. They grew the produce in water and weather conditions that mimic the Martian environment. Now, on average, Mars temperatures hit negative 81 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, hell no. But they may vary between 70 degrees and a negative 220, depending on the season in the region. Although the experiment that Heinz did stuck with one control temperature. So the experiment shows evidence for long food, long-term food harvesting on this planet as opposed to short-term plant growth. So while this milestone means the tomatoes could grow on Mars, it also suggests that they can grow in other remote, harsh parts of Earth. So in this experiment, the Florida researchers used about 7,800 pounds of soil from the Mojave Desert, which mimics Martian soil in many ways. And the ketchup joins an expanding pantry of food produced in extraterrestrial settings, both imitated and real. Astronauts have actually grown chili peppers and lettuce on the International Space Station. So now all we really need to know is whether French fries will still be delicious on Mars because potatoes, which was an early experiment involving simulated Mars soil, suggests that it could be cultivated there too. Wow. Yeah. Alrighty then. Yep. We're just good. we have real problems on our planet. Why are we doing these stupid things when we should be fixing the problems on our planet? I just don't get it. Why are we giving money to people to do this stuff? I think that was part of what she was saying. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, I really have such a problem when I'm like, there are people who are literally starving to death on our planet or can't get insulin because they can't afford it. But, you know, we're going to grow tomatoes on Mars. And we're going to give them millions of dollars to hypothetically see if it might be possible. Oh, yes. All right, Mary, you got a story for us today? I do. Good. I need a story. Okay. This story is called The Vinyl Resting Place. She's got such a cute little smell. Remember records? Mm -hmm. Vinyls? Some people still buy them. Let's talk about them today. Edward Leon Scott, who was a French inventor, actually invented the phonautograph in 1857. The phonautograph was a device where a vibrating pen would graphically represent sounds onto small paper discs. Thomas Edison took the phonautograph in 1878 and created a way to actually hear the music. So the phonautograph just wrote it. Mm -hmm. Thomas Edison took that idea and made it so we could actually hear it. His device used a stylus to cut grooves into tinfoil to record and replay the sounds. Now, Thomas Edison's phonograph was actually capable of recording and producing sound, and he started with wax paper tape. He later moved on to tinfoil, and he finally came up with a hollow wax cylinder. And the hollow wax cylinder actually turned out to be far more useful. They lasted longer, They were a little more durable and they produced a better sound. So in 1867, an inventor named Emil Berliner patented what's called the gramophone, which was the first vinyl record player. The device had to be operated by hand and Johanna and I have actually operated one of those. Yes, we have. They played seven inch rubber discs. The initial device had extremely poor sound quality and it was eventually abandoned. 
And you had to crank it at just the right yeah. speed because too fast or too slow changes the sound. Right. And that's what I was just thinking is not only do you have to crank it at the right speed, but you have to constantly keep it at yes. that Consistently, yes. Speed. Yes. Yes. It's so like in, making ice cream. In 1901, the Victor Company released a record player called the Red Seal, and it played 10-inch vinyl records. Victor came out with 12-inch records in 1903. These had a longer playing time of about three to four minutes. So the original players for these were called Victrolas and Electrolas. And if you were going to purchase one of them, you would pay more for one of those than you would a brand new car. Holy shit. Yes. In the 1890s, the diameter of the earliest discs was generally seven inches. By 1910, the 10-inch record was by far the most popular size, and it contained about three minutes of music on one side. Oh, geez. From 1903 onwards, the 12-inch records were produced. They mostly featured classical music or opera, and they actually had four to five minutes of music per side. In 1948, Columbia Records released their 33 and a third RPM, which was made from PVC or polyvinyl chloride. The sound is recorded in the grooves in the vinyl. While the record spins, the needle runs along the grooves, passes the information to the electromagnetic head. So then RCA Victor developed the 45 format and they marketed it in 1949. The 45s that were released by RCA were in seven different colors of vinyl, depending on the type of music. Oh, so your country had one color, your pop had a color, your blues had a color. Were the blues blue? I don't know. I didn't think about them. So the 78 RPM records were normally sold individually in brown paper or cardboard sleeves. Do you remember those? Yes. Okay. Yes. They were generally plain. They were almost like tissue paper. Yes. And they sometimes they were printed to show the producer or the retailer's name. Generally, the sleeves had a similar cutout exposing the record label so you could see what, what was in that sleeve. Records could be laid on a shelf horizontally or they could be stood up on their edges, but because of their fragility, breakage was common. Right. The German record company Odeon pioneered the album in 1909 when it released the Nutcracker Suite on four double-sided discs in a specially designed package. Wow. In the 1930s, record companies began issuing collections of 78 records, and they would the collection would have like one performer or one type of music, and those would be specially assembled albums. And they would typically have artwork on the front cover and liner notes on the back or the inside cover. Most albums included three or four records. Both of them, would they would all have two sides, making six or eight tunes per album. Okay. So in 1982, Sony came out with a compact displayer, bringing about the beginning of the end for vinyl records. The vinyl record is now considered a collector's item. And people frequently say that the sound of music is never so good as when it is heard on vinyl, making records a sound purchase. But until 1982, with George Cohen, he did give my regards to Broadway in 1900. Oh, my gosh. The Peerless Quartet, Let Me Call You Sweetheart, in 1910. We have Fats Wallace with Ain't Misbehaving in the 20s. Leo Reisman brought us Putting on the Ritz in the 30s. 
The 40s gave us such iconic names as Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley brought us Don't Be Cruel in the 50s, the 60s, jam-packed with the Monkees, the Beatles, and the Rolling Stones. In the 70s, ABBA introduced us to the Dancing Queen. <laughs> Kenny Rogers and Blondie shared the spotlight in 1980 with Lady and Call Me, respectively. The Righteous Brothers brought us our number one hit of 1990, Unchained Melody, and the list goes on and on. So anyone that bought or played or even looked at records pretty much understands that the record was placed in a paper envelope type covering and then placed in a cardboard jacket. Pretty standard, pretty boring, or maybe not. So I sent you ladies photos. Yes. We're going to talk about this photo first. Did you look at your photo, Lynn? It's definitely okay. look at it. Okay. Oh, I recognize that. Okay. That is the album cover of Def Leppard. It's called Retroactive. It was released in 1993. This album cover looks different depending on how you hold it. Up close, it is a beautiful lady sitting in front of a mirror doing her makeup. If you pull it away from you, it's a skull. Mm -hmm. So see what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Okay. The next record album cover we're going to talk about is Kiss. The album was called Psycho Circus and released in 1998. The Psycho Circus album changed pictures based on how you move the album back and forth in your hand and the angle that you're looking at it. This album featured the first lenticular cover, which means the illusion of movement from background to foreground, creating the effect of leaping out or jumping back. The album cover alternates between a black Kiss logo with the album title, two pictures of a clown and the band members. And in 2018, the Stone Pilots brought us live. The Stone Temple Pilots released their live album, and they had another way to change your perspective of the album cover. They made a 3D cover and a 3D label. And thankfully, they included a set of 3D glasses with the album. Otherwise, the whole thing would have been pointless. In 1970, Led Zeppelin released their album three. This album actually had a spinning disc attached to the cover that you could actually spin. And as you spin it, you change the circle cutouts on the cover so that you have different pictures. You can have different band member faces or whatever other objects are on the disc. So basically the cover can constantly change for you. The Velvet Underground and Nico released in 1967. This album was designed by Andy Warhol and it is simply a banana. Not just a banana, though. It's a sticker. You can remove the sticker and have a naked banana. But if you do, the album cover is changed forever and the value goes way down. It is the intact sticker that holds the value of this album. And the sticker is actually the skin of the banana. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool. Alice Cooper released Schools Out. We're all pretty familiar with that. Yeah. 1972. This cover is totally brilliant. For an album called Schools Out, why not have the cover turned into a school desk? The front cover has a liftable flap like a school desk. The, the, the back folds out to make it stand up like a desk. And inside the desk, the contents include pencils, crayons, erasers, marbles, a Schools Out quiz, a slingshot, a pocket knife, and other things that you would actually find in a school, kid's desk. That's funny. Last but not least, this one's my favorite. The Rolling Stones released 
Sticky Fingers. Released it in 1971. And according to Keith Richards, Sticky Fingers was never meant to be the title. It's just what we called it while we were working on it. This album came with a working zipper on the front of the cover. The cover is a male model from the top of his belt buckle to the top of his legs. So basically, shot of a man's crotch. The model is wearing tight blue jeans and the zipper on the jeans actually goes up and down. When you pull the zipper down, it reveals the underwear of the model. And it also reveals Andy Warhol's signature. Andy designed this album cover for the Rolling Stones, and they paid him $200,000, which is about $1.4 million today. Wow. For an album cover. There was a problem with this album cover, though, because when they shipped it to the stores, the zipper was actually damaging one of the tracks of the vinyl. So to fix that before they were shipped, someone actually got paid to unzip each and every zipper on each and every album before they were shipped. Not sure who wants that job. I guess it depends on how much you're willing to pay us. The cover really wasn't the most well-known part of this album, however, even though it was extraordinarily brilliant. Okay. It was actually what's inside the cover that people talked about. (laughs) Alice Cooper came up with the idea of getting rid of the paper sleeve. The records were put in for protection. Okay. And instead, wrapping the record in a pair of disposable paper panties. The panties were manufactured in England, and they were shipped to the United States. And from there, they were dispersed to several record plants that were distributing this particular album. The first 250,000 copies were fine. Manufacturing, the shipping, the distribution, everything went smooth. The album was a smash hit. It sold out quick. So that the powers that be had to order an additional 500,000 panty sleeves. But at this point in time, U.S. Customs decided to get involved. And the next shipment of panty sleeves ended up being stopped and held. Why? The U.S. Federal Trade Commission has laws. And some of those laws deal in flame retardant materials. The Flammable Fabric Acts was passed in 1953 to regulate the manufacture of highly flammable clothing, such as rayon sweaters and children's cowboy chaps. And the Flammable Fabrics Acts actually placed enforcement authority with the Federal Trade Commission. In 1967, Congress amended the Flammable Fabrics Act to expand the coverage to include interior furnishings, such as paper, plastic, foam, and other materials used in wearing apparel and interior furnishings for your home. Well, they clearly uh, missed the paper gowns that they give you at the doctor's office. How do you know those aren't flame retardant? Have you tried to light one on fire to see? No, I will <laughs> the next time I'm there, though. <laughs> yes. Hang on. I have a podcast. I need to test something. I, I'm just saying it's possible that they actually are flame retardant. They're not. There is no flame retardant. Oh. This is what I learned. I did a lot of research. I mean, like I jumped down rabbit holes all over the place looking for everything that I was trying to find. Well, I wondered because you wash your clothes. As soon as you wash your clothes, anything they've treated it with would be gone. So that doesn't really make yeah. sense. There is no flame retardant. It's flame resistant. Ah. Flame resistant clothing stops burning once the source of ignition is removed. So essentially the fabric self-extinguishes. In all my research, I learned that fabrics are not flame retardant. They are merely flame resistant. I also learned that we don't check the products that we ship out of the United States. 
We just check everything that comes into the United States. Obviously, paper is not flame retardant. And when the customs officials tested five pairs of the panties, all five went up in flames immediately and completely. And at this point in time, everyone realized that things were just starting to heat up. Nice. Although the Rolling Stones argued that the panties were simply being used as packing material and therefore should not be held to the garment laws, the FTC stated that they were being imported in and the labels on the containers called them women's apparel. It is possible that women could wear them should they choose to do so. Yeah, but you could wear a cardboard box if you chose to do so, too. I could wear myself some underwear. You're right. So the record company, hot under the collar, came up with what they felt was the perfect solution. They would spray all the paper panties with flame retardant solution as if this album wasn't expensive enough. And there's another job that I have to ask. Who really wants that job? Thus, the problem was solved. Alice Cooper commented on the entire situation, saying, quote, I know we're hot right now, but I never thought our panties would catch fire. Oh, my God. So in 1994, Sticky Fingers was remastered and reissued by Virgin Records. This remaster was initially released in a collector's edition CD, which replicated in miniature many elements of the original vinyl album packaging, including the zipper. It was again remastered in 2009 by Universal Music Enterprises. And in 2011, they released a Japanese-only version. In June of 2015, the Rolling Stones reissued Sticky Fingers in a variety of formats to coincide with a new concert tour, the Zip Code Tour. Friday Music recently reissued the vinyl album, Paper, Panties, and All. So... You can get yourself a pair, and if you get the deluxe edition, you can get pink or white instead of brown. Wow. Brown panties will cost you $36.80. The pink and white panties will cost you an extra $12. The album has actually sold over 3.5 million copies and is said to be the greatest album cover of all time. I give you the vinyl resting place. I do know that even to this day, there are people who collect vinyl records and hang them on their wall for the cover art. Yeah, there's some amazing. There are some really gorgeous, gorgeous, amazing ones. Those were just like the five or six, whatever it was. Those are all really, really interesting and really super cool. Yeah. Yeah. But even today, it's still a big thing. Yeah. We have a vinyl record store here in town. My first record was uh, Bay City Rollers. Was it? Saturday night. Yep. Wait. My my very first and probably only vinyl record that I ever owned was a Smurfs album. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. The Smurfs album. Wow. I miss that one. Gosh. Katie bought it for me. Katie bought mine too. Mary? I don't remember. I had a lot of albums. Oh, did you? I went through a phase in high school where, you know, albums were just hot because, yeah. you know, I was behind the time, but I was hot behind the time. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another kind of interesting and fun thing related to vinyl in our family. Mom had a vinyl record. I don't know when she got it. I 
I think she told me she got it when she was young, like high school, maybe, or when her and dad first were married. I don't know. And I can't remember the name of it, but it has like a, it's, it's not a big record, not a full size. It's small, but one not like records. Huh? One of those three quarter records. It's like yeah. three quarters yes. of the size of a real yes, record. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I remember yeah. those from the record weird box we had. Yeah. Of uh, that box that I will tell you about that in a minute. So anyway, in, I can't remember the name of it, but something Maria or Maria something. And Ave it, has, Maria. it was, it's not Ave Maria. Okay. But anyway, it has like a woman in a beautiful dress that always reminded me of like an exotic Spanish yeah. flamenco dancer kind of, yeah. I don't know. A red dress. No, not, a, it's not red. So I always kept the record. I've never listened to it. I always kept it. I've never taken it out of the sleeve or anything. Um, I always kept it. When just, you do, you could probably use that sleeve as a pair of panties. <laughs> you seem to think I wear panties. <laughs> I don't think they're flame resistant. You probably shouldn't wear them for panties because, you know, they might go up and burn you. Well, I'm going to say you're going to smoking hot. <laughs> but snakes right. won't go near your hoo-ha if that happens. So I'm Yes, saying. they can. They can breathe. <laughs> they, they can hold, hold their, their breath. breath. Sorry. Anyway, um, so probably five years ago, my son James really started to develop an interest in vinyl. And he is he has kind of grown quite a collection. I gave him mom's record. So it's still around, it's still in the family. He was very touched to have it. And I don't know if he's ever listened to it, but he also has the record box. That record box has moved to every freaking house I've ever lived in. And now James owns it. Oh my gosh. It's sneaky, when my kids were little, I didn't have vinyl records. When my kids were little, I didn't have vinyl records to keep in it. So I kept my mismatched socks in it. That's funny. Yeah. What a conversation this story sparked. Yep. All right. Um, if you guys are listeners have record stories, vinyl stories you want to tell us, hey, share them with us. If you have really cool, awesome albums that you've loved the cover art, feel free to snap a picture and send it to us. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we'd love to see it. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who stopped by and spent part of your day with us. We hope you laughed. And hopefully we brought some memories to some people who maybe had some of the things that we talked about today. We um, hope you enjoyed yourself part of your day you can find us on facebook at tell me something i didn't need to know you can find us at tmsidntk at gmail.com which is where you send your suggestions your ideas your comments your thoughts we take all that yep sometimes we get some really awesome story suggestions yeah we are also on twitter at tmsidntk if you enjoyed your short stop with us today feel free to follow us leave us a rating and a review Yes, please. How we get better. You can find us anywhere that you listen to your podcast, obviously. Feel free to share it. Feel free to share any posts that we put up there. And if you feel the need to cross the advertise, if you have your own podcast, hit us up. We are very open to that. If you have a business and you would like to sponsor us, hit us up. Oh, yeah. We're cheap. Hell, yeah. Johanna's cheap. I'm good. I'm free. <laughs> wow. Oh, ladies.
Till next week, guys. We love you. Have, Have a great, great week. Stay oh, mysterious. I've got, got a final thought. All right. Oh my gosh. All right. Do you have a final thought, Tom? No. I'm so shocked by the fact that you have a final thought. Um, I, I, everything's just flown out of my head. I, I watched it. It happened. Wow. Music. It was like you hit purge. It was fast. Wow. Real quick. <laughs> this is it. Music, once admitted to the soul, becomes the sort of spirit. It never dies. Right. We love you guys. Bye. Let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love with you. Let me Thank you.